Welcome back. Welcome back. Well, we let it go about a month. Uh, we started out by saying, let's try to do this every day. We did that for two days, maybe three. Then we took a few days off, did another couple. And then uh, why don't you tell everybody what, what happened? Uh, well, I don't want to over-dramatize it too much, but I got sick yeah. somehow, in spite of not leaving the house basically ever. I got sick. I had a fever. I had a cough. They persisted for weeks. The fever didn't, but the cough did. Sore throat, fatigue, and um, it took a while, but I did get a test for COVID-19, which came back negative. Oh, boy. Um, so I didn't want to make that story any longer because <laughs> it's, a, it's really um, it's quite a, a letdown of sorts to end that story with. I tested negative. It makes me sound like I'm over-dramatizing it way too much because I don't have it and there's a lot of people who do yeah i know i don't want to be disrespectful to that sure and you're feeling better now yeah i'm mostly feeling better i have a cough still but Mm. apart from the cough it's all good and you haven't gone because i mean obviously um you know uh, i've been getting too crazy like uh false negatives have been a problem um antibody tests are starting to become available do you think you'll get one of those eventually Yeah. My dad got an antibody test. Oh, yeah? Uh, he, but you had to be asymptomatic for a certain amount of time before you could get that particular test at that oh. particular place. So you so, still have a symptom, so you can't get it. Yeah, I really, I, yeah, I shouldn't be doing that one probably yet. Mm. Um, although, you know, in terms of building up antibodies, I'm sure that I either have them or I don't at this point. Yeah, right. You know? But I will wait and do that later. Well, boy, I'll tell you what, I mean, it was was a wild ride. Uh, I mean, I know that you think the outcome of that story was anticlimactic, but (laughs) uh, you, uh, myself, and and several of our friends were sort of really worried about you for a while. Yeah, I was was never convinced I had it, but I was kind of worried for about, it was when I got the fever. I really was like, oh, no. Sure. Is, I, I thought I just had a cough for a few days, and then I got a fever, and I, was, I thought, oh, my gosh, the symptoms are growing, and they're the ones that I should be worried about. And now i got to start figuring out how to deal with this. And so I completely isolated myself in my room for mm-hmm. about nine days. Oh, boy. And, how was that? Um, I mean, because we haven't really talked about that at all. I mean, again, I can't really complain. I'm I'm genetically predisposed to just kind of live with that, okay? It's not, <laughs> it's not that much torture for me. So I didn't really have it that bad. I just watched movies and stuff. Uh-huh. It was, you know, it was, it was it didn't drive me mad. I, I'm not I'm not I don't have The Shining. Yeah, How but, did you? Uh, the Shining's actually a good thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> did you? Uh, did you? Um, How did you get food? Oh, um, I uh, I had an exchange uh, thing worked out with my mom. Okay. Where I, I was getting, she was leaving it somewhere safely, and then I would pick it up with a mask on, like after she left. And, oh boy. Um. Yeah. It was, it was stressful mostly for that. I didn't. I I was, by far the most concerned about passing it to my parents if sure. I did have it. Yeah. Then, I mean, you're staying I think with your parents. The the ride for us in the in real time was also. The process of me trying to get seen by a doctor and get a test and all that stuff because I did get seen by a doctor and the doctor told me that she thought I had pneumonia when she listened to my lungs. Oh boy! She said it was 
minor, like barely could hear. Just minor pneumonia. Also, no, yeah, right. And <laughs> Didn't even know uh, there was such a thing. That that is also one of the the common symptoms of COVID nineteen. Good golly, and I um. I had to wait a little while, but I got a test result back from an x-ray that said, no, your lungs are clear. Okay. In the meantime, though, she didn't uh, prove me to get a test, even, even while thinking I might have had pneumonia. Oh, man. And they, <clears throat> that, that particular network of, of healthcare, their policy was you have to wait eight days after symptoms to get a test. So on, like, day seven or eight of my quarantine, I... Um, Finally got a test, yeah. and on like day ten or eleven, I got back the negative result, and then I was able to reassimilate myself with like at least a little bit of the outside. Now you say that particular healthcare provider. Uh, I mean, is it like uh, there's not? I guess there's not like a uniform sort of policy. It's kind of like pr- provider decision, right? I don't think so, and th- and that's part of the thing with the my my reluctance to even go to get myself serologically tested is. There are serological tests. There's like at least 50 of them that were approved sort of um, preemptively by the Mm -hmm. FDA. And now we've found out how many of those are, well, not exactly how many, but that many of those are extremely inaccurate. Like there's one that was being distributed in Laredo by a private company. Yeah. And they were intending to test a whole lot of the population. And then it turned out that, only 20% of the tests were accurate, which is about the percentage of Americans that test positive when they get a good test. Okay. So really cracked me up because you could have been seeing people come in and just like looked at them for about five seconds and said, yeah, you have it. You can leave. It's yeah, just, you don't have it. You can leave. It was and like a random, exactly like a accurate. random number generator. Just like a random. Yeah, you would have been exactly <laughs> accurate as that test. Yeah. I mean, twenty percent accurate is is there's no such thing as a zero percent accurate test. That's yeah. That would that would be a hundred percent accurate if it was zero percent accurate. You know what I'm saying? Like oh if it was gosh. always wrong, then it's always right by by inverse property. Yeah. The the worst possible thing a test could be is exactly the same as random. <laughs> Man, it's like Jameis Winston. So, Wait, what? I don't. Oh man, I don't could know. Be Just into a real wormhole. Exactly, there. exactly the same as random. Uh, anyway. Oh, oh, performance on the field. Yeah. Okay. Well, oh yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Oh boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's always that, but you know, I'm I'm gonna table that. Uh, what the I'm gonna table the um thing I could go off on a tangent about right there related to that right now. Um, for for a little bit later the episode please do but just okay. just put a pin in that james winston and the problematic issues of james winston we'll, we'll pivot off that a little bit later um <clears throat> so uh, one thing that has been on my mind the last few days um and so okay admittedly in this last month i have i've done a real what i would consider bang up job of and i know this is probably very irresponsible uh on my part as a citizen and, and, and concerned person, I really have just not been, I've been very much self-isolating and I don't mean like just in my home. I mean, like I've really tried to cut out the noise as much as possible. Um, I think it's the only thing that's really helped my sanity and like clarity of mind, like ability to get any work done and stuff like that. Cause early on, I was really like tracking the news every minute of every day. And I wonder how much people have started to do this more in general, where it's just like, look, I can't, it's just too much, you know, it's too much. It's too much. Um, it's very sad. I mean, honest, you know, honestly. And it's like kind of had to get to this mental space where it's like, well, if, 
if it impacts us uh, on a on a very personal level um, beyond you know how it's impacting like our lives and and things like that, then we'll just have to contend with that when it comes. But it was like I really wasn't keeping track of like what what was going on in terms of the spread or uh, number of diagnoses and cases for a little while, and then has have just recently started to ca- catch up on that a little bit. And I gotta say, um, after having my head in the sand for let's call it the better part of ten days. Um, when I looked up to see what the numbers are, I need, cause I think, I mean, you tell me how you've been, how you've been keeping track of it or whatnot, but like how, why, um, I mean, my goodness, why are, why is our death tolls like three times as high as the next highest country and what is going on? Like what happened? I mean, I real like, I don't mean to be dense and I am very much a layman. Um, but like, uh, I'm just like looking at, you know, basically what S- South Korea did, for example. And I know that they did contact tracing and they used GPS and credit card transactions and stuff like that. It's like, what did, like, what? Because <laughs> we're not that, I mean, we're, uh, we're not near, nearly the most populous or densely populated country on the planet. So like, what, what is going on? Yeah. Um, well, the, the nature of, of the spread of something like this is like a dam that starts with some holes poked in it and you could plug the holes and at the end of that, you're, you're pretty much fine. But if you wait too long and then there's too many holes and then the water pressure builds up and it just breaks, then there's like no putting the dam back together. Sure. Well, I guess my question though is like, have we done... Have we done um like that much of a significantly worse job of um containing it or managing it mm. than like every other country in the world? Or is it about uh, I would say that um you can't fully take China and Iran's numbers at face value. We've done a significantly worse job than some European countries in South Korea and Taiwan and Hong Kong. And um, I would say that Italy and Spain and France probably have done about the same job as us in that they, it was too late. Although for them, you know, it was chronologically earlier when they broke out. So it, I, I would blame them slightly less, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they, the sooner that this outbreak happens in, in calendar time, the, or, or, or like days from, from its original past to a human, if you wish, the, the, the less I find blame in somebody getting hit with an outbreak, because like if this virus started spreading in Italy in mid January or something, it may have already been way too far to handle by mid February and still not that noticeable because of this three week delay in people getting into serious territory. Right, right, it's, right. It's such a, it's such a, um, it's such a nefarious little creature yeah. that hides that so long, you know, five days without even any symptoms. And then another like 10 before you even need a hospital visit at all. And right. then another like eight or 10 before you die. It's, it's just so hard to keep up, you know, and we're, we're at a point where we're opening the country as we, as we, um, record this podcast it's the first day after the governor of my state reopened everything right 
And um, yeah, so for for that, we're going to be waiting like two to three weeks to see what the impact is. But in the next two to three weeks, we're going to get probably the benefit of the last month of quarantine. So it's going to look like the numbers are dropping while the, you know, the freedom is rising. And then we're going to get this backlash that I, potentially I the spread can't could, imagine is anything could, but inevitable. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, potentially you're on that, you're on that three to four week cycle again, where now it's being, uh, yeah. Tran- transferred. Again. I would, I would say that I, I want to get back to the focus, of your question. Mm-hmm. I would say that Spain and Italy, they were blindsided by it in uh, similar to how we were, although we shouldn't have been as blindsided as we were at all. We spent a month doing nothing when we could have done something. Um, they were a little bit ahead of us, so a little bit more blindsided, and their numbers are relatively close to ours in terms of like what you know. They're actually, a higher percentage of their countries have died, and so, a higher okay. percentage of people, I think, that's kind of what I wanted. So it's like it's looking at it at a sheer number, like on a sort of sheer number basis, right? And the yeah. per the per capita, I guess, is, is effectively what you'd break it down to, right? Like what percentage of the population? Partially, yeah has tested positive and then what percentage of those uh have resulted in um death so yeah can you can, like walk us through that a little bit and then again because i want to we have 360 ish million citizens in our country but com- by comparison to um say a, a country like china and i know you've addressed that but it's like um, you know, we haven't really heard much from Russia. Obviously, they're probably suppressing suppressing information at a very um, <laughs> very like significant clip. Um, but yeah, just like what I help kind of just talk through that like that when you look at the sheer numbers, like it just it just looks really bad when you look at the sheer numbers, right? But it's is it is it a situation where it's like um, there are just a lot more like shot attempts for lack of a better term uh coming from this country mm-hmm. than like say those those comparable next ones and then also countries we're probably not getting good data out of or or has it been managed just that much better we have uh, about five times as many cases as italy and i think we have six times as many people but keep in mind that italy broke out badly in the Milan area, mm-hmm. but not so much, not at relatively as much in the the places south of that. You know, Rome and and um, Naples and the other the other big cities in Italy didn't get hit as hard as Milan. It was it was how hard it broke out in that one region. And there are mm-hmm. cities in that region where the blood test is showing that maybe half of the population has already had it. Okay, so similar to our our hot zones like New York and uh, yeah, we're Western lower than that though. Things like that. Mm-hmm. In New York, it's probably more like twenty five percent, maybe less, mm-hmm. based on the best we can guess from the serological tests. Now, I think the important thing to note about that because there is a lot of momentum behind like seeing those kind of results and drawing a conclusion that oh, this virus is much less deadly than we think because we say we have a million cases, but we might have 25 times more than that mm-hmm. or 50 times more than that, which means the death rate is like 50 times lower than we think it is. Okay, maybe, but even I've, I've done that na- math a dozen times now. Every week I do that math at least every other day. 
and and just like get the latest data and check it all out for myself you know mm-hmm. like do i work the numbers myself and i still never come to a death rate that is lower than 0.2 percent mm-hmm. which would be double the flu yeah at, at absolute at absolute smallest double the flu sure but still probably more like 0.5 percent still maybe as high as as one percent um and certainly tied to how bad an outbreak is that overwhelms a certain region like northern italy um had a higher death rate new york city had a higher death rate for the time that the outbreak was hardest and that's partially because they it was spreading so efficiently without anybody having caught it yet you know yeah. in, in new york's case in early march and uh, i think that we're about to just enable that to happen everywhere else all the places that are opening up so that's really tragic. Uh, also okay. uh, side note russia is starting to show a lot worse numbers now they're like number seven or eight as a country on the on the list of most cases mm-hmm. so i think that it may have come as a delay and russia may have been they're a little more authoritarian than us, so they're probably a little more capable of shutting down things, uh, borders and domestic. So I think that it'll, it's a little slower there, but you're going to probably see a really, really bad situation in Russia, too, mm-hmm. just a little later. Yeah, so to speak to that, so um, kind of the hot zones here, like a, like New York City is probably the best example, um, wh- where it's like obviously a very densely populated urban area people sharing um really close space using the subway lots of traffic on the streets common public transport yeah um really close quarters in restaurants all those things i mean um just really add to it if you've even traveled to new york you understand it's like really difficult not to be in extremely close proximity to other people or like not touch things um that other people have touched very recently so all that being said that's not the only city in the world that's like that. So my question A is like, why are we not seeing that in other super densely populated urban areas in other parts of the world? And then uh, B, like the I guess the assumption being that all these cases kind of started to come down. Like all, the virus was basically spreading. Um, so quietly like you're talking about so quietly and so efficiently and with this many deaths this quickly i mean we're talking about you know how, i mean how many i haven't pulled this number recently but like how many people even die from the flu uh on an annual well, basis in an average year it's probably like 30 to forty thousand. right right in the course of the year mm-hmm. um on a bad year it's 60 worst kind of year it might be 70 Mm-hmm. And we are going to pass 70,000 in about two days. Yeah. So just say um, it, like a month. lot of that has to do with how easily and how quickly and how quietly um, this disease spreads, right? So, which is another thing mm-hmm. that it's like there was so much um, sort of like ignoring or even like doubting the information or like downplaying it or suppressing um, its significance early on that it's like a city like new york was just operating at full speed you know right up until it wasn't basically um yes so anyway that's there's kind of my question it's like how much did that have an impact and then also how can we have how can we didn't see that as much in other really large and densely populated uh urban areas in the world i'm interpreting that question is not less about beijing and shanghai because who knows for sure but Mm -hmm. uh, more about 
Tokyo, Seoul, Korea, Seoul, yeah, um, or even Hanoi, Bangkok. I mean, like Bangkok, Bangkok, and Delhi. yeah. Um, all of these cities that I'm listing are Hong Kong, Singapore, Taipei. They're all cities that Paris. handled this like immaculate well relative to us. Now Paris had it hard. Um, okay. Yeah, I think that Europe's had it way worse than than East Asia. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. They have they had immaculate what? Had it far worse. No, no, you said, before we got on to uh, Europe, you said something about these Asian countries, they had immaculate something. Oh, their response was, their success with this has been immaculate oh, compared okay. to us. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> I know, I've, I've done as much as I could to, to learn why it's different there. I think masks is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Because they do other things, they've, they've taken it more seriously and they've had outbreaks in our living memory with SARS and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where they were, um, they were hit by it, got lucky. We, the whole world got lucky when it came to SARS that it, that it kind of got stopped in its tracks, just not nearly as, as, uh, contagious as this one. Right. And also it, did, far it was, uh, it also like showed itself right away. Right. I mean, symptoms yep. like were a little onset more quickly, quickly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a couple of days or less. Yeah. Yeah. And it was far more deadly. And generally speaking, the far more deadly viruses and diseases, they're the easier ones to spot and they're the harder ones to spread because if you're dying, you're not going out and right. to the world. Those people are getting but isolated we, more quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> South Korea wore masks like extremely diligently. They also contract t- traced extremely diligently. There's really good data on exactly how many people each of the first you know 50 people that had it in south korea came in contact with Mm, and the first 30 didn't um spread it to more than a couple of people each so they were they were on top of it completely for the first 30 people that they found to have had the infection but patient 31 was a woman who was a member of that cult church that you may have read about over there Uh it's okay if you haven't there's a very popular cult type church where the the leader of the church claims to be a messiah figure and there's like tens of thousands of people in a few different cities that attend this church in South uh-huh. Korea. Uh-huh. And a woman who's a member of this church got the virus was hospitalized and um discharged once and she did not self-quarantine when she though she was still sick with symptoms she didn't self-quarantine she went to church. And then got hospitalized again and left the hospital and like met her friend for lunch in a cafe and then went to church again and did all these irresponsible things Mm -hmm. knowing she was sick and ended up spreading the virus to like either hundreds or thousands of people all by herself. I see. And they call that a super spreader. And when they say super spreader, when it comes to these kind of outbreak viruses, it it comes with like a, a connotation that maybe that person is like especially contagious more than a regular person. Like there was a super spreader with SARS that stayed in a Hong Kong hotel and gave it to like everybody on his floor, including a friend of mine, probably. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. I have a friend who never got confirmed, but was in that hotel that weekend and got really, really sick. And thanks for sure. He had SARS. Um, so that's, that's like what I normally think of as a super spreader, but this is, I, I don't really consider this, the same kind of thing. Like, I'm not sure she's especially more contagious than somebody else. She was just especially more irresponsible than somebody sure. else. Yeah. You know? Um, so 
South Korea is the place I can speak the most uh, intelligently about with the most detail because I've there's been really good information that's come out of there. And they've they've ramped up they're testing up until very, very recently. Their testing per capita was far better than ours. Now we have we have blown that out of the water with volume over time, but our testing has not been a great success that certainly not the great success that the presidential administration wants us to believe it is. Um they were of course he spent a month not even doing anything about it and just saying it's gonna go away until it was too big of a problem to ignore. I mean, like, I remember the day that he finally acknowledged at a press conference that, like, 100,000 people are going to die, and he finally was struck by how bad that would be, probably just for him. And that's probably where it finally humbled him a little. Sure. And that's... I'm stretching to even use that word. But uh, up until that day, which was probably about March 14th or so, he was just like, forget it. It doesn't matter. We have plenty of tests. Everybody can get tested. And these were all just such BS statements to just try to survive the day's press conference you know um so we we got to the point where we were testing about 150,000 people a day maybe 100,000 in in mid late march and until mid late april that number did not increase any further we were testing roughly that many people per day every day for about 1 month so we were not moving up the ladder right yeah. we were just we were just like staying where we were and that was enough to catch up to Korea over time because it was such, because we, we are a huge country with huge resources and we can do big volume of anything. It's kind of how we, you know, helped win world war two. Uh, we were able to just manufacture tons and tons of equipment, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In ways that countries like Germany couldn't. And, um, those things have gotten us to the point where our testing is is now per capita maybe the highest in the world, but that's because time helped us, right? Like sure. we spent a month testing 100,000 people a day, and now we've covered enough people that the per capita amount is significant. But but I might need a test again, right? Mm-hmm. So the fact that I've been tested is not like on a per capita level is not that significant if I get a cough again, yeah, right. Multiple like tests. I, it's, it's a, what matters is that I can be tested whenever I have symptoms or I can be tested when I know somebody around me was confirmed to have the virus or suspected to have the virus. And this is what South Korea did immaculately well that we didn't even bother with for like months. And we're now only at the point where, where I've, I finally saw a plan yesterday that was presented to the government, not by the government, but I think to the government by a bipartisan collection of smart people or something who said we need to hire 200,000 contract tracers Mm -hmm. who just spend all their time running down everybody who has the virus and everybody they've been around every, you know, and in Korea there's, there's like this program of, uh, there's, there's an app on your phone or at least an alert if it's not an app where I think everybody in the country gets an alert if somebody in their neighborhood had the virus and it'll, it's, it's an intrusiveness that our nation is not comfortable with, but this is what it takes. Yeah. You know, this is what it takes. They get an alert and it says the bartender at the restaurant on whatever street has been tested positive. They're a mid twenties female who had gone to this grocery store on Tuesday and that neighborhood convenience store on Thursday and stuff like that. Right. Right. 
and everybody that's in the area can now basically self-report and say, I've got, uh, I was, I was at that grocery store on Tuesday and they can get tested. Mm -hmm. South Korea also has these testing stations that are incredibly safe and quick. Um, they're, you know, like marvels of engineering. Yeah. And, um, you, the, it all boils down to them just taking it seriously. Right. And us twiddling our thumbs for too long. And well, and, and, and not having, and not having, um, not having like, um, a coherent centralized response. I mean, I know that that is like yeah, that in some way, in some people's mind, many people's minds here, and we can now pivot from this to some of the things we've been seeing talking about opening places back up, the protests. So I don't want to spend very much time on those people because I don't, that's whatever. But the point being that, like you said, the, there's this sort of like privacy issue with contact tracing where it's basically like, yeah, like one, they're exposing people's um, medical information to the public. I mean, they might not be like doing it on an individual name basis, but they're doing it on um, like, you know, basically you could, you could kind of like boil that down to somebody that, who you might yeah. know it is sort of thing. And then, if you know, um, it's a female bartender at the, at this particular bar, like at the Chili's on your highway like, mm -hmm. but i mean they're you using they're using frequent that, that chilies you know who that woman is they're using that person's like that that person is uh has tested positive they're using like gps tracking data they're using credit card transaction history so that they can do mm -hmm. things like figure out oh they went to this grocery store on this day right because they're going and saying like well i'm going to pull every record basically that you have to help us track all your physical movements for the past three weeks so that we can Correct. then inform everyone else out there so while it's extreme, extremely effective uh, in terms of, oh, I mean, and this is the other thing I just want to talk about a little bit. It's like, you know, you were talking about, well, the problem, uh, the problem here is this with testing and that. It's like, well, one of the problems is that <laughs> South Korea has only had 250 people die. We've had over 60,000 people die. And I know that our population is much larger, but like how much of Five it's just larger. like you saw the Five one day larger. spike and then they just yeah. went straight down. Yeah, no, no, no. We're not, we're not large enough where those two numbers should be so distant from each other. So we're only like five or six times bigger. Right. And they're far more dense than us. I think far more dense. That. So, okay. So that's yeah. just like one thing that I wanted to, you know, kind of just get to, because it's like, we can be, because, because the people who, it's like, your story actually really threw, uh, threw me and many of our friends off so hard because it's like we know there's probably nobody in America who's taking this more seriously than you or who is like self-isolating it better more effectively and then for you to basically say like I have all the symptoms it's like oh my gosh like how is that even possible right but the point being that like there's still like so there there's so little um like like centralized guidance on what to do. It's like, even you didn't, it's like took you weeks to basically like get the test you needed and then like get the results that you were looking for. And then you're still not even hundred percent sure whether or not that's correct. You know what I mean? Yeah, like if, if I had understood what I could, if, if there was options available and it was clear, like if I could have gone down the block and gotten a test and it doesn't have to be literally on the block. I'm just, you know, if I'd gone somewhere nearby, I could have known Two days later, you know, on day three of my of my intense self isolation, that I was, you know, fine, and I could, I didn't have to like, you know, create this complicated system where my mom is never like, you right. know, within 
within breathing distance of me. Um, I could have, it just would have been a lot less relaxed than, than it was. Um, but I didn't know where to get a test. It, it was, it was kind of confusing. Um, and there was like multiple ways you could solve that problem. I ended up using the, the health network that I mentioned was one of the telehealth things that mm-hmm. I think prior to this apocalypse, they were the kind of thing where you signed up and you call them and they do a, a house visit uh, when you're sick. Mm-hmm. But um, so they have their own system and they were set up in the parking lot of a football stadium and stuff like that with these kind of like outdoor tents, open air. Right. Um, all these, all these things for security measures. And, um, but you know, I got lucky that my mom already kind of knew what was up with that, or I would have just been at square one and I'm sure would have figured it out. But it was like, you have to go, you have to like call your provider or some provider that you can get in touch with and then get them to say, yeah, you're, it's worth it for you to get a test or you're, you're symptomatic enough or something. Mm-hmm. And, um, that right there alone Let's the fifty percent of people who are walking around with this asymptomatically, maybe completely asymptomatic, always, um, to just keep spreading it. Apart from whatever quarantine measures we take, so yeah. we are the way that we have set up our testing, uh, like system, is guaranteed to miss fifty percent of the cases and let them keep spreading, and they'll never know they have it until they get a test, a blood test, right, and that is we've known how that a big chunk of people were asymptomatic for at least two months that came from china and korea that 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 was well understood before we broke out horribly here Mm -hmm. so there's no excuse for us not having a better response but still like and i i don't really consider this political though i keep criticizing him it's just common sense it's just like a failure of common sense like for the president and the vice president to continue to stand up there and insinuate that we have enough tests already and that people like we don't need to be testing more people when every single expert is like, yeah, that's kind of that's like the table stakes for starting to get better and starting to reopen our economy. Right. Is and being able to test everyone and understand who has it and who doesn't. Yeah. And then after that, you can move on to like, all right, let's wear masks everywhere. and. Um, contact trace and all this other stuff but until you test you're just just walking around blind right and that's what we're gonna keep doing and i think this so this brings us to the topic that you brought up at the top of the show which is states are starting to reopen uh their businesses i mean like you know largely there are still social distancing measures being put in place in a lot of those places and but I mean, the, the whole like the stay at home now, my state is still under stay at home order for more than another month. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, that's drawing the ire of at least some groups of uh, of people who I'm sure have really thought it through and understand all that. Might the, those be some of the same people who gathered together in Charlottesville a couple years ago? Data and implications. Yeah. Um, but my, you know, kind of point being that, like, it's not so much. I mean, it's like on the one hand, we're. We're doing, I understand people's sentiment of wanting to start to normalize life a little bit again and not have like a mandate to say that you have to be at home and like, let me use my quote unquote common sense. That's what, I mean, there's like this, but this is the whole, this is the whole deal with our country in general, right? And this is not 
it's not a political party. Um, I mean, there are, it's like people who align with certain more so with like a progressive way of thinking, I think are more inclined to, um, be less concerned about that. I guess you might say like less concerned about my individual liberties being infringed upon by there being a government mandate that I have to stay at home because it's like, I understand like the notion of public health and not becoming a spreader of the virus. And it's like the, uh, like other folks be like, well, you need to entrust me on an individual level to do the right things. But that's like really the, that's the debate that's going on in our country. That's made, that doesn't go on in a place like South Korea, for example, where it's like, there's a fundamental culturally cultural understanding that it's like, we have to put measures in place for public health reasons. And those are the things that we're going to do. And there's not like, a, yeah, they don't there's not like a, a there's not like militia any. groups at the Capitol building wearing masks and bullshit gear, trying to like mm-hmm. knock the doors down, you know? Um, yeah. So, it's a shameful thing here to wear a mask for some reason, you know, to some degree it's, it's embarrassing and East Asia doesn't have that problem. And so, well, I mean, that's, they are culturally easier to just switch into mask mode for sure. Like, but it's like, and, and but uh, again, Czech Republic is another country, this, by like, the way. It comes down to this like individual Liberty thing that like particularly conservatives in this country are very hell bent on that being the only thing that matters, like at the cost of everything else, basically. And they, and then it's like, and it's put into practice as much. It's like, we're willing to let these death numbers go up and up and up as long as like, it doesn't infringe upon my individual Liberty. And we are, I think we're like a particularly unique country in that way. Um, like from a cultural, oh, sure. from a cultural mindset. Yeah. We're, we're, we're founded on it on, on that being a principle. Sure. And well, I mean, we're taught that like, yeah, it's, we're kind of found on it, but more than that, we're taught that it's a, a value and one of the a, things that makes us special. Yeah, and yeah, stuff. sure. But it, but it also down. is, it is a really, um, this highlights how complicated and hypocritical it is because it's not, it's never been really fully true. There's no. always lines and limits. Like, for example, you do not have the freedom to drive drunk. You get caught doing that. You go to jail for, or get, get a big well, fine, go to jail for a long time. Yeah, right? I mean, this because, point. Because you I made this point of text to a friend the other day. Yeah, exact, exact same point as you. It's that like every single law, every single law infringes upon individual liberty in some way. A speed limit totally. infringes upon individual liberty. A speed yes. limit is a public health measure. I mean, that's the yes. bottom line, right? So I think, uh, one, there's just like some folks that are not, they're just not like totally comfortable with what, or they like don't they don't like really embrace the concept of public health. It's like, I'll take care of me and myself and my family and you take care of you and yourself and your family. And that'll be that, you know? And it's like, there's this sort of like inherent, like I'm, I know I'm going to do the right thing. So that means everybody else has to do the right thing. And if they don't do the right thing, then that that's on them and that's their problem. And like, well, the problem with a virus like this obviously is that like, you're an innocent bystander if you're walking around. I mean, it's just like you have to self isolate. If they're going to open the, the, you know, if they're going to open the borders back up. They're going to open businesses back up. And here's the, here's the really the, the crux of it though, is that we still don't have, we still don't have like, we're doing this off feel. We're, we're not doing it off of data and we're not doing it off of like a strategy. Right. It's like, people there's a sentiment that people want the want like businesses to open back up because they want life to go back to normal and you know like we, we're going to sort of accept 
everything that's gone on and we're just kind of like kind of take our chances and the folks that are who aren't that concerned about it are going to go back out there and they're already eating at restaurants and whatnot and then other folks are just gonna be like well i guess i just have to like really keep avoiding everything and everyone for as long as it takes until there's like a centralized strategy which it doesn't seem like maybe there ever will be no no it's entirely disjointed to the point where the Republican governor of Maryland has to order tests for Maryland from South Korea directly. And when the shipment comes, keep it secret and hide it in a guarded facility so that the federal government doesn't come and seize them. Mm-hmm. Like we're in, that is reality. And the Colorado governor did it same kind of thing this week. Like that's the reality we're living where the States are defending their inventory from the federal government, taking it for, for reasons they don't care to explain. Yeah. Like it's really bizarre to see it happening. And it's hard to know exactly what's happening in a lot of cases because like you can't, it, we're, we're mostly locked down, you know, voluntarily or involuntarily. Most mm-hmm. of the country is staying home. And so there's less visibility into like what, what's out there in the world than ever. And the people who are visible are the ones I trust the least because they're the ones that are like yelling at the courthouses. Um, <laughs> But yeah, for them, I, I think that you get, there's a compounding series of, of misunderstandings and there's no way to talk them out of it. Right. It's so unfortunate, but it yeah. starts with like a misconception that this is just the flu or a misconception that like, you know, like if you're, if you don't have a good mathematical foundation, then it's not as easy to understand like how many hundred thousand people are just like a, a rounding error away from dying yeah in a in a situation like this or or like how much one more spread can turn like the like patient 31 in korea you know there was like a hundred korean patients and then she comes along and then suddenly there's like two thousand korean patients yeah well, one person it, can make that big of a problem happen and it's also i think there's also this mentality that's like well um, whoever's going to get it is going to get it. And like, let's just get it over. I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? There's almost like a yeah, the look, herd immunity approach. Yeah. Well, herd immunity, but it's just like, Hey, listen, this is, and I don't, and I don't know that this necessarily, I think this might transcend ideology a little bit, but it's just like, um, look, we can't, but I think the point being that, there's a lack of understanding that with certain controlled measures that you can actually like suppress the spread and then maybe eventually like get, get the disease to go away through like an active um, like strategy and approach, right. In the way that it's like zero new yeah. cases are now coming through in South Korea and at some point, yeah. whenever that's the case and they know like we have no more cases and no one's reporting new cases then it's like they can methodically sort of like open things back up because now they know that there's nobody that has it, at least within the borders of their own country. And they can control people who are coming in and you have like a system of controls in place to where now you can like manage it. Right. And I think that makes some folks uncomfortable because it's like, that's too, that's too many, that's like too many um, things that we have to contend with. And it's just like, I'd rather just go out there. And if I get sick, then they, I've got like this still like seemingly small corona, percentage chance that I will die. 
And that's all they're concerned about, really, is like whether or not if they get it, they will die. It's like there's still a chance that they could die, but they're uh, they're like, well, you know, my odds are like the odds are really in my favor. So like, whatever, not really taking into consideration how, again, that they become a super spreader if they're not being thoughtful. So I'm saying it's just like, sure, it's this is like this is like the ideology that we're struggling with, I think, um, here that might be unique even a little bit uh, versus many other countries. And I don't think it's unique to be selfish. So, and that's essentially what that is. It's, it's, that's not the selfishness that is what we are doing worse than other places. It's the dismissiveness of the problem. Like those are not the same thing, right? Like there's, there's selfishness, which is, I don't want to stay inside or I don't care as much about what happens to other people. And then there's dismissiveness. Like, this isn't that big of a problem. Right. And when you combine those two things, the amount of liberties you're going to take for yourself are much, much greater than if you just are selfish, but Mm -hmm. you do understand, like if you're selfish, but you understand that this is a massive threat, then you keep your ass home. Right. Yeah. That's, that's what I, right. And so like, we're not the only country, by the way, that is going to be this bad. Brazil is going to be this bad because they have as bad or worse of a jackass leader system of leadership. Is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's probably worse in, in almost every way. Well, and so, I and, mean, but you know, again, I think what the thing I keep wanting to come back to, because there is a, there's this like a more of a, like a, an additional point um, that I want to get to uh, about the upcoming election in November. And the thing is, is like, I think a thing that we really struggled with is that, when you're when your leader your leader is um sort of reflective of your population you know and it's like really hard to for a lot of people to stomach the idea that like our current president is reflective of our population um but i've been having this Do you debate. mean reflective like outwardly to the world like he represents us i'm saying reflective like of like your per- the personality of your popula- of your population of like the uh, idea like the set of ideals and the and I well no but that's I mean, would you say that's true when, like, a king, for example? Well, I'm saying in a democratic in a democratic society, in a democratically elected. Government. Yeah, but he's still. I mean, I I know you know that he's representative of a minority of the population who happen to, um, have the right electoral college, you know, distribution. Yes. Okay. So this is actually the exact debate that um I was having with Elizabeth. I mean, was. It, debate necessarily but it was just like a conversation we were having where i was basically like i hit this moment over the last few weeks where i became like wildly despondent for a day or two when it finally occurred i know that maybe i'm a little bit late to the game on this but (laughs) the notion finally occurred to me that like come november basically who who is so okay let me me try to think let me try to like take one step back real quick it's like the, the largest population centers in this country uh, don't really have very much influence over who the president of the country is, right? We know this because of the consolidation of powers. Like, there's so many people in California, for example. California has a certain number of electoral votes, sure, but it's like, that is... It's like... I mean, they have a, they have a big say in as much as, like, if they were to flip the other direction, it would... You, there would like never be a Democrat win the presidency for a generation. 
Right. It's kind I think, of, it, I think like I mean, what I'm getting to it, is like, it if, is and it isn't, I understand what you're saying. If like 250,000 like, more people move to California, it's not going to move the needle on their electoral impact yet. that much more well, it's supposed to. than like say, it's supposed to, you know, it's, I, sorry, I don't mean to keep interrupting. It's, it's supposed to, in the sense that like the elect, the, the census is supposed to happen and like fix the electoral vote distribution. Sure. So okay. California should have more electoral votes. In theory, that's the way it should work. But when you say 250,000 people, you're kind of playing with a number that's small enough. Like you're, it's a very it's, realistic thing you're doing here. It's you're small enough. That's small what enough my, to like yeah, my not, point is. Not increase the electoral votes, but it is enough to sway like five red states. Absolutely. That's exactly interrupt. what I'm getting at. Okay. So it's like 250,000 to California or to New York City doesn't move the needle in like nearly as significantly as like the. 20 or 30,000 people in certain districts in like Ohio or Wisconsin that basically decide the elections at this point on the national level. Right. And so like, this is what yeah. I was saying. I was becoming very despondent about was that like, well, you said districts and I'm not sure that every state does it. I think that they just do state raw vote in a lot of cases, but I'm not hundred percent sure to be honest how every state does it. Sure. Sure. I mean, yes, it's, it's like, it's going to be the, it's going to be the total, it's going to be the total vote in a given state. Yeah, just to distinguish that, like, just to distinguish the difference between, like, adding 50,000 more people to Milwaukee versus just 50,000 more or less people in the entire state of Wisconsin. I'm right. not sure that it matters which one of those two okay. things it is. I'm sorry if I'm confusing the issue here. The, the bottom, the sort of bottom line of it that I was just kind of thinking out loud was that, like, Basically, like 70,000 people in the state of Ohio, a state that I can't imagine that I'll ever live in. I don't even know that I will ever visit. I mean, I haven't yet, but it's possible, I guess. Determines who, like, largely determines who is in charge of the federal government. And, like, sort of depending on what your, I mean, it's just like, the reason why, I mean, we talked about this before, it's like, all just cut, like, cut out all the other noise about everything that this guy has ever said or done and how, and like, whether or not it offends you or you think he's great, whatever. The reason why we were so concerned when he got elected is because of this moment right now. Correct? We knew oh, yeah. he was not fit. On the night of the he knew, we knew he was not fit like to do this job. He was not fit to do it. He does not know how anything works. Uh, he's still proven that he's trying to basically bullshit his way through a pandemic. So, you know, all that being said, it's like, this is why he shouldn't be, this is why he shouldn't be in charge. But it's like, because of the sort of distribution of the population in our country, he has more than a toss-up chance. He has more than a toss-up chance to win re-election. And the last kind of major point that I wanted to pull out in, in the show today is this, which is something I've been thinking through a lot. I was talking to a friend of mine who is effectively like a, political insider with the Democratic Party, worked for a local campaign here, congressional campaign. He worked for uh, the party at some level. Now he's working in, in somewhere else. But like, I think he's, he's very representative of like the, the Democratic Party sort of line of thinking. You know, he was pro-Biden, pro-Biden getting the nomination because of like the strategic reasons behind that. Like Biden will... To play well in these certain states and if he picks the right vp candidate then it's like this whole 
you know, this whole election will be a referendum on Donald Trump and doesn't actually have anything to do with the candidate that we're putting up there. He's like a mainstay placeholder, name people are familiar with. It was like, he, this guy was telling me this verbatim. I was having a debate with him about it. And it wasn't like, I'm not like making up talking points that I've heard other places. This is an individual person affiliated with a party who is basically just telling me, giving me the party line, right? And it's like, largely the reason why the party consolidated behind Biden before Super Tuesday and had all the other candidates drop out and endorse him. It's like, uh, everybody is, everybody was on the same track. Okay. They got scared by Bernie Sanders, right? They got scared by the notion that Bernie Sanders can win. And the thing that I think is very upsetting about all this to me is that like, despite how poorly he has handled all of this, like all of the, everything, everything, despite what a terrible person and president he is, I would, t- I would put, I would put, if I had to take, if I had, if like somebody put a gun to my head and said, you got to take everything you own and pick and put it on who you think is going to win in November, I would put it on Donald Trump. Because the reason why is that Republicans stoke fear. Their strategy is to stoke fear but they lead with authority, okay? Democrats try to in, uh, like get people to like be hopeful and like, uh, optimistic, but, they're sh- but, they, but they operate from a position of fear. And the reason why Barack Obama was so, like, such a revelation, besides the fact that he was the first African-American president, is because it seemed like it was the first time in our lifetime, like in the memory of our lifetime, where it was like, oh, like someone's standing, it's like, it's like fighting for something, right? Like this is for something. And like, I think based on this what whole you, conversation, what would you say he was for this the, whole, what would, what would you be your quick summary of that? Well, my, and I think like the point is like than... he, it was just like, I guess he was just, I mean, he was good at communicating what it is that he was trying to communicate. He was for a positive message. Now, it didn't mean, I'm saying it's like Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders is for progressive policies, right? He's like for yeah. universalizing healthcare. He's for these things. Right. He's for those things. It's like Joe it's Biden and so many of these others, like quote unquote moderates. The reason why it's like people are, they're mealy mouthed about this kind of stuff. It's like he has an entire record where he's contradicted himself over and over again throughout the course of his career. And now, above all else, He's got a credible accusation against him that makes him not a desirable candidate for feminists, for women, for progressives who like actually think that what like what they were doing was uh, like a, a moral, you know, like we had the moral superiority somehow yeah. by, by voting as a Democrat or something. It's like all those things are out the window. There's nothing inspiring about that. And it's like Barack Obama didn't have any of that. He didn't have any of that baggage. He didn't bring any of that stuff to the table. He was like, I am, this is who I am. This is what I'm for. And that's why I think so many people actually liked Bernie Sanders in 2016. I think that's why so many people like him now are like, I will not vote for Joe Biden. I'm just not going to do it. Like I'm a Sanders supporter because it's like Bernie Sanders has always been about the same thing. And my point of bringing this up is that it's not not tied to what's going on with the fact that Trump's even our president right now. And then like the way that we're handling this this coronavirus epidemic, which is that like what resonates, I think with Americans largely is like people 
like taking an authoritative stance, fighting for something. It's like, I think the Democratic Party, for whatever reason, was like so scared that maybe Elizabeth Warren was because she was a woman and Hillary was a woman and she lost or because like her policies were too progressive. But it's like Elizabeth Warren would have taken him to task every single day up until the election. And at least that would have been something to root for. You know, it's like there's nothing there's nothing for Democrats or progressives to root for in this. And it's like they're doing it out of a position <laughs> yeah, but, of they're doing it out of a Alan, position of fear from a stance of fear. It's like, well, we didn't want to take a risk with like going with somebody who's going to go for something. And so I think that's just like going to suppress turnout. And there are a lot more people who are still fired up about Trump for whatever reason. But Alan, and, Alan, hold on. You, you, I, I hear what you're saying and I'm not disagree. I don't disagree with the. The. Um, like the truce that you're you're calling out, but there it's it's pragmatic at the same time that like Elizabeth Warren could not get support enough. Like she could have she could have been an assassin in calling out his faults and and just like pinning him in logical corners in debates and in the press every mm-hmm. day of of the campaign. She would have been just eviscerating him. But that would have only I, I I worry that that effect I wanted her to be the candidate, but I I don't know that the effect of that would have been positive on on the election. And I do know for sure that she just did not get the support that Biden got. He yeah. got like uh, there's, a, you know, just pragmatically, I, I like at the end of the day, I like my my um my heart is on the side with you, but my brain is on the side with the guy you had the debate with. Like. Enough of the people in the country were going to get behind Biden in the course of those primaries that it like just kind of had to be him uh, to, because he's like, I totally understand. I totally understand what you're getting to. Like we can't calculate the, the effect of like, you know, like what this allegation is going to do or, you know, how bad he's going to botch things in terms of looking (laughs) like he's got dementia or something. Yeah. Um, which I'm on the fence about. Like sometimes I go oof, and sometimes I'm like, well, I think we're really overdoing it. And Trump says crazy dementia type things all the time. Mm-hmm. But then again, like I mean, like to to your point, we <laughs> so Biden being the candidate puts a candidate up here now who has, um, like maybe the mental deterioration, certainly age, uh, uh, disadvantage, right? And I know Bernie's the same age, but Bernie is sharp as a, as a knife. Like, so you can't really, you can't even doubt it with him that, that he's got some mental problem. But um, like with Biden, you've got, the, you've got the mental health worry, which is just like Trump, in a sense. You've got the uh, rape allegation thing, which is just like Trump, in a sense. You've got the kid who has um, made a lot of money in like kind of morally questionable ways overseas, you know, trading on family name, just like Trump. Sure, sure. And so you're, you, you're like all of the things that are so easy to call out as hypocrisies and corrupt and problematic and whatnot about the, about the current president, you've got a guy now who, who doesn't have moral high ground on any of them. And that's absurd. I'm, I'm totally distraught that he's the guy in, in that sense. But at the same time, like I myself can't deny that he continues to look like the guy who has the best chance to win, although I, I worry every day that that's going to change over time because of these allegations and his like potential mental decline. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and sorry. No, I think your points are super valid, and I didn't mean to get so 
I feel like maybe I got a little off the rails or something, but I think the heart of what I was trying to really get at is the thing that I said about, like, to me, what it, what ends up mattering is, like, how it plays out at the polls, right? It's like, do I, yeah, do I like, personally want know. this this guy to be the nominee? I do not. There are, like, a number yeah. of reasons why I do not, and we've talked through them. And I think that it's completely... Like, it's completely reasonable. And I think one reason why it's frustrating is because we have heard from uh, from Democrats, from progressive pundits, from, you know, people on podcasts and this and that, all these things, all these things that they've said about the current president, about how terrible that makes him and how this and like, I'm not here to debate that he is not terrible because he is terrible. But like, then then your safety like your safety candidate is you you put up is like basically like just like a sort of like oh shucksy gentler version of the same person okay but but the but the thing that i object to about that line of thought softly object to mm-hmm. is the difference between it being like the hand selected safety person from the man like coming down from the top versus the person that got pushed up by the populace because Biden was not, I do not think that anybody had Biden pegged as like the best guy for this in, in terms of like the democratic cabal or whatever. Yeah. Like, I don't think that he was in, on the, in the onset, on the uh, onset of this, it was probably maybe more like Kamala Harris or something. And then, and then when she didn't get the momentum going, I think it was Buttigieg. He, it looked like he was the one that was getting propped up by the like, elite status or whatever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but but biden just kept getting well let's but let's not forget that okay i completely agree and part of part of the debate uh, i was having with elizabeth was that was that was that like well you know what what can you say people went to the polls and they voted for him right like he got like with less money and less campaigning and everything and less notoriety still got basically like, on yeah. on name alone but i will say this hunter is that again he basically won South Carolina, which is an inconsequential state in the general election. It doesn't matter if every single right. Democrat in South Carolina shows up and votes for Joe Understood. Biden. He's not going to win that state. And they took that as an indication that this was our moment. He has momentum. We are going to have all these other candidates drop out one by one in a line behind him so that we have, I mean, so that we have our moderate, we have our own. moderate candidate and... And he's going to, and like those moderate votes are going to like out total the Bernie Sanders votes or the Elizabeth Warren I get votes. It. Who, but they always out totaled the Bernie Sanders votes. I know, moderate, but I'm so the, um, but the final part of this point that I'm going to make is that like as much as the Republicans disliked the ascendance of Trump in 2015, 2016, and like largely the establishment did not want him to be the candidate, they never pulled a tactic like this. The RNC did not like try to no, dude, align and prop up. They did not try to align see... and prop up like a, 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 a an establishment candidate and say this is the guy we've got to all, all get behind this guy, and everything stayed dispersed out, and Trump ends up getting the nomination. Yeah, I hear you, but I. Uh... You're saying that's maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. That, like, maybe this was the better thing to do. That. I'm I'm think like like I mean the number the the numbers don't work out the same way, but I feel like it was the opposite of that. Like Biden is the, 
guy that a minority of the people in the Democratic Party wanted who, like, happened to pull... It's, it's like the Democratic Party's done the same thing to themselves that the Republican Party did to themselves four years ago, is the way I kind of feel like it is. I know that it's not apples to apples, but, like, there was... Trump's base was a pretty small minority of the, of the Republican Party in general at the time. But there was no other candidate that was like that had enough momentum to this happened with Hitler, too. I don't I don't I'm not trying to make like a direct analogy mm-hmm. to either of these guys to Hitler in the sense. But but like the Nazi party was like 20 something percent of a five party country. And they just were the strongest, loudest one. And so they they pushed through. I, I get what you're saying about South yep. Carolina, but like the thing about South Carolina was not that it was that Biden beat all the other moderates. So, so he just like wiped the floor with them there, you know, like Buttigieg did. just didn't he come was, close. He's very popular. Bloomberg there. spent all that money and didn't come close. And Warren couldn't get any footing. And like all, all those other candidates who just had to realize Klobuchar, they all had to realize like right at that point, there is no way, like there's no reason to believe the other States are going to be drastically different than this. Mm-hmm. And what South Carolina was, was the first state that was more like, not counting Iowa, I guess the first state that was more like moderate in, in spirit mm-hmm. so that like it would it gave a, a better read on like, who's not the, who's the candidate that's preferred. That's not Bernie. We didn't know until then. Yeah. And then we knew because they have a, the at least their democratic the voting the base, at least our democratic it wasn't voting just that the result. Voted. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't just that the result of that one state was conclusive or something. It was also that the looking ahead to like the way the rest of the states were, shaping out and polling it was going to be more the same and so it was i think it's twofold thing like i i really don't feel like it's a it's an open and shut like story that all those other candidates must have gotten together or somebody like corralled them together and said we all have to like like team up and you guys just drop out all at the same time put all this momentum behind it i don't i don't necessarily believe that it was 100% orchestrated yeah i think that to a degree like you can be any one of those individual candidates like Warren, for example, or although she, I think she was a little later, but like, uh, like Klobuchar and Pete, you could be those candidates, Bloomberg and be like, man, Bloomberg, great example. Mm-hmm. He just spent like $500 million and they didn't even come close <laughs> to beating the guy who's basically spent nothing. Yeah. Because like, for some reason, people love that guy. Yeah. People love Biden enough people. And, and they had to just be like, be realist. And like Bloomberg didn't, I don't think he had it in with spend another $2 billion to try to eclipse that in the rest of the moderate states. Right. So I just feel like it, it was like, if I was on the Bloomberg team, I would have been ready to make that call that day too, regardless of what pressure was coming at me from the rest of the democratic party. So I don't, I don't f- like feel good about just saying it was, it was the, like the heavy hand. Sure. That, and that's, yeah, you're right. And I'm probably getting a little overzealous on that. Uh, one, the one uh, sort of difference between Bloomberg and others is like, I would imagine that there was sort of a collective, you know, <laughs> like um, do- donors and where the money is coming from on any one of these individual candidates. It was probably flowing in the sense that like they had momentum or that they, you know, were a viable candidate. And then kind of as soon as you know, Biden rose up above the rest. It's like there was probably kind of a collective, uh, I don't know if it was like centrally orchestrated, but definitely a collective kind of sentiment that like, 
like well, conceding is we're, how I feel. Yeah, like we're gonna well, we're gonna keep spending money on this campaign. It's probably not going anywhere. So why don't we yeah, kind of turn? But I, but I seriously doubt that he was the one they were rooting for up until the point where they were just like, well, it's gotta be if it's gotta be him, it's yeah. gotta be him. Well, because I don't, like that's where the I people think, are voting, so we can't what, stop that. I think what's uh, what is, continues to be disheartening is I don't really know where it leaves us. I mean, it's like I don't know. I can I can kind of hold my head high at this moment in my life still and say that like uh I I have still never cast a vote for someone who I didn't think should be the president uh and I, and that that includes 2016 because while uh there were certain things about Hillary Clinton that I was not a fan of I thought given a moment like this she would have done a very good job um and- unquestionably a better job definitely a better job nobody level-headed could argue that yeah i mean just like she's a prepared person she's a serious politician there's a reason why there's a reason why tim cook is the ceo of apple and it's not the guy who runs long john silvers you know i mean it's just like yeah um you know you hire the right you hire the right person for the job i think is basically what i'm saying it's like and i don't really know (laughs) i mean i guess it's just like it becomes a purely a party vote at this point or maybe it's a like really depending on who that vice presidential candidate is there's sort of a sense that like at 77 Mm. and degrading health or mental health like he might not even make it through his term um so you're kind of just going like well i guess maybe this person will be the president but like put biden in in the president's seat right now in this crisis go back to january and put him there and Mm -hmm. what what would happen i feel like what would probably happen is even if he was like mostly incompetent He's just going to defer to really smart people that are around him. And like institutionally, things would have been built up much better. You know, like the systems would have been in place. The pro like probably like the teams that needed to be staffed correctly would have been staffed. Like all of those things are not mm-hmm. true in our current environment. Right. It's like, um, yeah, or do I mean, they're like some, some stuff is staffed, but staffed by, um, appointee, like, a uh, interim appointees. There aren't like, uh, well, cynic- like, the a president aren't hires cynic- based on, the president hires based on the criteria of like who's going to kiss my ass the best. Yeah, exactly. And like, and how much and understand who's going to understand that that like that the the one thing they need to never do is say anything that criticizes or embarrasses yeah. me. As and, long as they do that, they're great. And how much turnover there's been in key positions, you can't even account for like yeah. how little institutional knowledge there is um, in key leadership. Yeah, well, positions you have that right turnover now. because of that. You have that turnover because of that insatiable need for him to always be right. praised, and then it turns into what you just said, which is. Like suddenly everybody around it's like this happened in the Soviet Union when Stalin purged everybody like he got rid of all the generals and people who were intelligent and and capable and experienced and suddenly surrounded by a whole bunch of idiots. Yeah. Like that's what you do to yourself when you fire all the people who are smart enough to say you're wrong. Argue with you at all or contradict you in any way. Or brave enough. Yeah. And so, okay, this actually so I want to take this uh, opportunity to pivot to uh, the multiple Elizabeth jokes of the week weeks okay, let's that, wrap up on this. that we've missed out on over the last four <laughs> weeks the reason why i took this moment to pivot is because we were standing in the kitchen the other day and i just go uh i said somebody like i think she handed me something and she's like can you give that a rinse and i can barely hear or say the word rinse uh without saying without thinking of rinse prebus anymore and so i go and i'm just the hands it to me and i like start to rinse it off on the sink and i go my god do you remember Reince Priebus? And she turns and she's like, I was just going to say, I can't stop thinking about Reince Priebus. <laughs> so we're like, think about how many hundred 
thousands of years ago it was that Reince Priebus was the chief of staff. Um, so that was one. That was not. That was that was the 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 least great one. So that's why I started there. The the next one that um, we're reading. Uh, June has this uh, Daniel Tiger five minute stories book. Okay. So Daniel Tiger, you may or may not know, since you um, you don't have kids, and why would there be any reason for you to ever watch Daniel Tiger? It's like a derivative animated show based off Mr. Rogers, um, because there was like a Daniel Stripe Tiger in the world of make believe. I'm not sure if you remember that. Um, anyway, she has really loved this show for a long time. So she has this book, Five Minute Stories, and we like will read her. We'll read her a book um, right before she goes down. F- for a nap or to go to bed and elizabeth <laughs> this is like mid-march uh well no not mid-march sorry like like mid-april so it's like mid-april and so we're pretty deep in this quarantine and it's just one of those days where like everybody's like a little punchy and she's sitting there on the couch and she's reading the story it's like uh daniel daniel goes to school and there's this whole sentiment the kids are like all worried about whether or not they're going to see their parents again it's like their first day of school so it's like well, will I see my parents again? Uh, have they left me? And the whole theme is like grown-ups come back, right? And but like Prince Wednesday, who is King Friday's youngest son, is like absolutely just like he's like, oh yeah, I know my dad. He's the he's the best. Like he, I'll see him again. And he's like, he goes, and she so she's reading the story and she goes, my dad's at home being the boss of castle stuff. And then there's like a short pause and she goes, she looks up and she goes. I think King Friday has clinical depression. <laughs> I mean, I laughed. I laughed about that for like two days. I could not stop laughing. <laughs> like, just think about it. It's like some kid. He's like, my dad's at home being the boss of Castle stuff. And then you like think about his dad at home, like drinking. It's like one sock on. I'm the boss of Castle stuff. Anyway, my favorite one was um, June being a toddler, a three-year-old and all. Um, in, in quarantine, you know, it's like, it can get a little bit, um, it's like we're the only people she sees, and it's not enough. She needs, like, friends, you know, she needs, like, to see her cousin and stuff, and so she can just, she's, and also we have a newborn baby, and so she's really contending with that, and she's doing a great job, like, she's a wonderful kid, but um, she, there were, there was, like, kind of a thing where she was, like, just getting a little bit too, she was testing us a little bit too much, and we were, like, getting into too many arguments and trying, you know, debating with a three-year-old is, like, there's no sense in doing it. I mean, it's, like, they, they have no, like, ration, rationale or logic or anything like that, right? So, um, we got on this thing where we were, like, <clears throat> if she's having a tough time and getting argumentative, it's just, like, go to your room, um go to your room for three minutes. You're going to go to your room for three minutes, just like a reset, cool off three minutes. Right. (laughs) And so they get into one of these things and she sends June to the room and she's like, go in your room, June for three minutes. And then there's like a couple of beats and she turns to me and she's like, she doesn't care. She's like, I only do two minutes in there anyway. The minute I go in, and the minute I come out. Yeah. 